0: If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me uh, to First Timothy, and we're going to talk about. Andrew actually kind of picked up on this uh, vibe this morning already. But in First Timothy chapter two, we're going to talk about Jesus as the mediator. Now. Uh, I've been gone a couple weeks. Seth filled in last week. Thanks, Seth, for preaching last week on uh, the Lamb of God uh, and this This Is Jeopardy series. And uh, just a to, to reminder, This Is Jeopardy is about the, the idea that in our culture right now, we are living in jeopardy. Uh, the jeopardy has come about because of our confused feelings, our corrupt thinking, and our compromised behaviors. And so we've been looking at different aspects of that and why it's creating a problem for us in this culture. And as Andrew mentioned, every answer that we need has already been written about in scripture. Jesus, in representing all the different characterizations of who he is and his, uh, the names that he has given, we've been examining those to help us understand how he is can help us get out of jeopardy. He can heal us when we're inside of jeopardy. He gives us hope so that we can overcome that jeopardy. Today, we want to continue that series here as we talk about Jesus as the mediator. And it's a perfect time to talk, talk about this because we are having midterm elections next week. We'll have the election polling site set up here at the church on November the 8th. And it's an incredible experience, and it's an American kind of uh, experience that is unique uh, from all around the world. Because we're going to be voting on individuals who we think are going to improve the quality of our lives. We believe with all our heart that they are going to make a difference in the quality of our lives. Now, what is quality of life? Well, it's gas prices, it's uh, food prices, it's what's happening in education, it's what's happening um, with uh, crime, it's all the different things that impact you on any given day has to do with the quality of life. Might be you, you think you're paying too much in taxes, or your electric bill's too high, or whatever the case might be. And we always have some Person Every two years that comes along that's trying to convince us that if we vote for them, they are going to masterfully change the quality of our lives. They'll be able to they'll be able to bring gas prices down. They're going to be able to help you with your oil, uh, your fuel oil or your heating oil or whatever. They're going to help with the price of milk and and all the different things that they make promises for. And in the process, they vilify their opponent, and so I would think that, based upon some of the ads that we've seen, that they all just need to go right to jail because if any of those things are true, if they're not worthy of our vote because they've done X, they are also are worthy of felony and being in prison because of X. Well, this idea of the quality of life is justified through what we call our quantification. Through our votes we quantify which candidate we will give which candidate will give us the best quality of life. In other words we're giving a value to them and our vote is a value you know each vote counts and uh, they'll tell you some, in some places in the country your vote doesn't count and in other places they'll you tell your vote can count 10 times what your vote might be if you do it the right way. But in our country, ideally, each vote counts, and so the more votes a person gets, that's a quantification, the more qualified or the more uh, in a position of changing the quality of our life they have. Now the top issue voters are hoping will be addressed this year, of course, what do you think is number one? Uh, The economy, prices, inflation, that's right. We've got the inflation of goods and services, uh, it's a miracle, gas prices came down uh, while we were gone uh, to Florida. They were going up as we were heading down, but they came down as we were coming back. So that was nice. But they've got gas prices, which is in, impacting the price of everything. Uh, eggs, milk, meats, doesn't matter. You can go into a restaurant, and they'll charge you a service charge for, uh, for shipping of the, the cost of uh, what it is that you were buying. So we're all feeling it in terms of the economy. The other side is that if you've saved money or you have money in stocks and bonds, the values of those have been diminished by not just hundreds of dollars, but thousands and sometimes ten thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands. That will change the quality of our lives, especially if you're thinking about retiring soon. We also have another thing that people are very concerned about, and that is crime. Crime just seems to be taking place more violently and viciously more frequently all around us. We want the police force to protect us. We want our government to protect us and to help with the problem of drugs and things like that that are... Uh, scourge the fentanyl crisis that's going on in our country. And so we're kind of battling against the uh, last uh, election where there was this call for the defund of the police. And now everybody is I never said defund the police. I've always been for a strong police force. And they'll play their very own words back to them. And they'll say, well, that's not what I meant. I mean, I didn't mean defund the police. So everybody realizes that we're in crisis right now. So we're going to quantify through our votes the person that we think will be able to change the quality of protection for us. Another one that's big is immigration. Immigration, where... We have illegals that are coming across the border, and then on top of that, they're bringing in drugs and they're creating havoc with the sex trafficking that's going on and the human trafficking that's going on. And even though that has been kind of downplayed here in the last uh, month or so, it's still one of those things that's impacting everyone in America. There are others, too. You'll hear, you'll hear uh, the pundits tell uh, tell us what it is that we're all most concerned about. But those are seem to be in the top three or top five, top ten, pretty regularly. And often we're asking our candidates or we're asked by candidates to consider the quality of our lives as compared to, what, two years ago, four years ago? Are you better off now than you were two years ago. So let's play that game. Are you better off now than you were two years ago financially? Well, you don't have to answer that, but just think about that because that would be the question that would give it. If you'd say, well, no, my, my portfolio has gone down to almost nothing and I'm paying too much, I'm paying $5 a gallon for milk and I can't afford to pill up my car, you'd say, well, no, the quality of my life has been diminished. So no, it's not as good as it was. But I wonder, I just wonder, if this process of voting and all the ads and all the things that take place to help us quantify or to determine who we're gonna vote for, I just wonder if it's enticing us into thinking that because we quantify with our donations sometimes, our votes sometimes, our support sometimes, putting a sign in our yard sometimes, All those things that we're doing to help a certain person, that the person will be able to actually save us. We are enticed into believing they can do that. But in reality, we know that's not true. I mean, they may be able to go introduce a bill, but there's... Another 49 senators and how, how many other, I always forget how many are in the House of Representatives. 400, 500, there's four or 500 other people in the House of Representatives. And then you got the president of the United States. you got Supreme Court. And so you've got these balancing all each other out. So how much can one person, an individual, actually promise and say that they can really deliver? But I think sometimes we're enticed into thinking that Because we're voting for and we're supporting or we're putting up signs for a person that they're going to be able to save us. The answer to that question is, can they save us? Is No, they can't. And if they try, I feel sorry for them. They shouldn't do that. They can easily compromise the quality of our living with the decisions that they make or how they vote or what they decide they want to support while they're there in Washington or they're in Columbus or they're serving in the county. But they're not able to save us. And our system was never designed for politics to be our savior and the government to save us. That really is the difference between having a mediator whose purpose is to save us by encouraging self-governance and a manager whose purpose is to protect and promote our self-governance. If we believe that the government is our savior, we'll try to support, quantify, give it value in that sense, but that's not its purpose. And that's not how our founding fathers set up our governance. They set it up so that we would self-govern. They thought that the best kind of environment was for us to govern ourselves on a daily basis. And for our managers, those who have authority over us governmentally, to protect that process. And to promote that process. And to encourage that process. But unfortunately, the opposite is taking place. Our system of governance depends on a citizen's ability to self-govern. But what happens when they refuse to govern themselves any longer? Our founders understood that personal morality based upon religion was a virtue upon which those who manage our affairs can thrive. They believed that if individual citizens would just govern themselves because they were being morally responsible to their God, they were expressing virtue through their religion, and the government would just protect that through freedom of religion, that the nation would thrive. And for the most part, it has. But something's changing. As I said, they understood that our power... And our providence, the goodness of our government, depends upon self-governance. George Washington said, "'Virtue or morality is a necessary spring of popular government. And human rights can only be assured among a virtuous people.'" Benjamin Franklin said, "'Only a virtuous people are capable of freedom.'" Samuel Adams said, neither the wisest constitution nor the wisest laws will secure the liberty and happiness of a people whose manners are universally corrupt. He, therefore, is the truest friend of the liberty of his country who tries to most to promote its virtue. John Adams stated, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our constitution, as a whale goes through a net. Our constitution was made only for moral and religious people, Adams said, and it is wholly inadequate to govern to, go, to the government of any other. Now, if our founding fathers meant this, if they really believed this and they established a process of governance that would protect this and promote this idea, what happens when those in our positions of authority or prominence over us don't do that any longer? So that brings us to our category today, our jeopardy category today. The hazard or risk of exposure to loss, harm, harm. Death or injury that comes from our confused feelings of paranoia, guilt, or regret. And these are the last three of the top ten feelings, uh, confused feelings people express they have these days. That are caused when we mistakenly consider those in authority over us governmentally as those who mediate for us universally. It can be overcome when we regain the eternal perspective that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. That's why this verse is so very important from 1 Timothy 2. Let's look at verse 1. It says there, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now this word... Thing for, for us to be made, it means that we're praying for, we're abiding and agreeing together. It's not more than let's just think about it and say that it's a good thing. This is where we live, this is our value system, this is our virtue. We are praying for those, we're interceding, we're thanking God for all people, especially for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now this term for kings, uh, that's pretty clear. They were familiar with what a king was in their day. We haven't had a king for a couple of hundred years here in America, but we know there are kings, queens, and royals uh, all around in this world. The other ones, where it says those who were in authority, that carried the word of those who have a prominent position over us. Those who are managers or those who have been given the opportunity to watch over us in a government situation. We're to pray for them, we're to abide in prayer for them, and we're to intercede with God on behalf of them, asking God to open up their minds and make help them see the light and we're to be thankful for the good things that they do. We're to be proactive in this. Why? Because they'll be held accountable to God if they don't handle their job well. James says that we'll be judged more strictly as teachers. I would imagine that if that principle were attached then to political leaders, they will be judged more strictly because they've been given responsibility. To whom much is given, what? Much is required. So we should be praying for them because they may be putting themselves in moral danger The danger of of damnation because they're taking advantage and abusing the privilege that God has given them as leaders. And as we're praying for them and interceding for them and lifting them up and being thankful, agreeing, that's our virtue, we call them into accountability before God. That is our power. We don't have no power They've taken it all away from us. And God reminds us here that our power is on our knees in prayer. We're praying over these people. God can take them out just like this if he wanted to. Now, don't pray for that. But people come and go. These people who are prominent over us, they come and go. And it may seem like an internable, uh, in, you know, a. a uh, like an attorney of time that we're dealing with in the misery that we live in and the quality of our life, but it's really not that long. We're to pray for those who manage our governmental affairs as we appeal to God through self-governance, encouraged, empowered by our mediator. Our primary responsible responsibility is to be accountable to God. And Jesus is our mediator who helps us be accountable to God. And as we self-govern, then we become the citizenry that can be can thrive in this world and that was the goal of our founding fathers now here's the jeopardy that we live in because historically humankind has tolerated authorities in their lives because we have believed them to be God's little G's or superior to us on some level we think they're smarter brighter more capable and this is taken two forms generally. It's taken the form of the royals, kings, queens, those who are dictators, those who are tyrants, those who have the royal authority or the, um, the godly authority to rule over us, and then prominent people, political leaders, political authorities. And sometimes, as I said, we give them more power over us than we should. This puts us in jeopardy because when kings and those in authority over us fail God, and they will, it leads to paranoia. Has there been more paranoia in our country than in the last six or seven years? Conspiracies one after another. We have paranoia about the people around us, our neighbors, did they vote for him? Surely not. We have paranoia that they supported somebody we think might be crazy or might not be capable or voted for those who are failing and now they feel guilt and regret. I sometimes wonder about how those who supported our most recent president feel. I wonder do they feel guilt, regret because their vote has created some of the issues that we're dealing with and... They could say the same thing before to someone else, though. So we've got all this paranoia, guilt, regret that's going on in our culture right now, and none of us trust each other. None of us have any hope in one another. And this is the nasty byproduct of losing sight of what our founding fathers created for us in self-governance. Is that if we look to Jesus as our mediator and we say, Jesus, help me be the kind of person I need to be before God, I'm going to be the best citizen of any country that I'm in, right? But the devil, he likes to get in and he likes to mix things up. And our form of government depends on self-governance. So to make it work, God has given us the only mediator we need so that we can fully rely on him. Even as we respect those, he gives the privilege to serve us as prominent in our lives. Don't give them power. You can give them prominence, but don't give them power. That's what they want. And they'll do everything to protect that power. You take your power back over that by praying and putting them in accountability before God. Because God has told told all of us that we need to be responsible to him through our mediator, Jesus Christ. So here's the jeopardy clue for today. When our feelings are confused by the paranoia that those in authority over us are ruining our lives... Or we feel guilt or regret because we didn't work harder to prevent, prevent them from getting that power. Or maybe we supported them and they're letting us down. This intermediator, inter- intermediary helps us regain the eternal perspective through the knowledge of truth, which teaches us to pray about those in authority while devoting ourselves to virtuous, virtuous self-governance because we have a savior. Who imprints the law on our hearts and ransoms our imperfections? And the answer is, who is? Jesus the mediator. You know Jesus did all that, but he does. Just as the mediator. And it does make a difference because of the system of governance in which we live. So, we have to ask the question what does he do as our mediator? Well, the Bible makes that clear to us. He does a lot of things, but we're going to focus on two things. The first of all is as a mediator, he imprints God's law on minds and hearts so we don't have to have a lot of written laws and regulations that we have to refer to to guide us. Now, I've heard this, I don't know if it's true, but I've heard that most of us will break some law every day. We just don't know we're breaking it, it's on the books. You might spit on the sidewalk and be breaking the law. You might be stepping on a crack and breaking your mother's back. I don't know, but you're going to break some law, right? The mediator, his job, Jesus's purpose, is to imprint God's law and minds on our hearts. Now, this was not a new thing that was just with Jesus. It's a promise that came all the way back from Abraham. So you have to kind of dig into this if you want to dig into it more From a historical standpoint, you're going to dig, dig, dig. It'll kind of all go back to the promise that was made to Abraham about the seed that would come from him. So regaining the eternal perspective that Jesus mediates between God and man through the imprint of law on our minds and hearts is vital to the protection and policing of our country, which is the primary purpose of those entrusted with authority. Let's just make this clear, and we've seen evidence of this in some of the riots over the last few years. If bad people want to do bad things, the police will not stop them and cannot. So what stops them? They have to stop themselves. If you all got mad at me today, and you wanted to come up here and just beat me up, I could call the police or the, the sheriffs or whomever, but they couldn't send out enough sheriffs or deputies to stop the number of you if you really wanted to hurt me. What would stop you? Well, I would hope it would that I didn't make you too mad that you were, your love wouldn't cover over your grace wouldn't cover what it, whatever it was I did. What stops us? What stops us from speeding? What stops us from stealing? What stops us from cheating? What stops us from all these things? Well, we stop ourselves primarily and if we can stop ourselves primarily, we start thinking about those who are in prominence over us who have the authority to stop us if we get caught. And they can either throw us in jail or they can fine us or they can do different kinds of things. But the system of government that our founding fathers set up was in keeping with this promise of Jesus as the mediator to write the law on our hearts and our minds so that we would know what to do every day and we would do the right thing every day out of reverence and responsibility to God through our mediator Jesus Christ so that we could live as free citizens and we wouldn't have to have a police force or military force around us all the time with martial law or whatever kind of law forcing us to do what needed to be done. Would you want to live in that environment? I don't think any of us would. Thomas Jefferson wrote that no government can continue good but under the control of the people. And, he said, their minds are to be informed by education, what is right and what is wrong, to be encouraged in habits of virtue, and to be deterred from those of vice. Now, worlds turn this upside down. We are encouraging people to vice, and we are discouraging people of virtue. They make fun of uh, Mike Pence because he says that he wants to be a one-woman man, loyal to his wife. And so he has some things that he does personally, not to be in the same room or around women without a a chaperone or, uh, or someone else there just to protect the whole situation. And he gets made fun of. And yet they will celebrate the vice of others. The founding Fathers established our form of government and the Civil War actually refined this in a very clear way because Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. That's this whole idea concept of self-government again. Now you see, it's the sanctimonious politicians and their supporters who threaten this process. What's a sanctimonious politician? Well, it's someone who thinks that they are sacred, sanctified, that they're better than. And they have supporters who think that they're better than because then they think that makes them better than. And they threaten this process of self-governance. So petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings must be exercised. For them, we must lift them up before the Lord. But that's not just something we do passively. It's something we do powerfully because we're not just praying that they succeed. We're praying that they live and rule in accountability to God. Is there a difference? Absolutely. We're praying accountability over over them in that way. But a sanctimonious politician, they'll blow that off. Well, I'm sacred. I know what to do. I'm smart. We're to put them and our perspective right back where it needs to be. And that is public and personal accountability to God for us who are being governed and for those who are governing. That's the system our founding fathers gave to us. And our system of government will not work without that. They made that clear. The problem of authorities who are over us that are abusing their powers. We need a petition to the higher authority. And if their supporters are abusing our freedom, we need to pray for their, their wisdom through God's truth. We need to challenge them. We need to talk to them about it in power and in peace, gentleness and respect. And this is the part of the enduring covenant which was made part of Jesus's ministry Remember, um, uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 through 13 says, But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises, it continues, I will put my laws in their minds, I will write them on their hearts, I will be their God, they will be my people, and no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. That's the idea of culture that God has in store for us through Christ when he's the mediator. He puts the law in our minds. Everyone knows the Lord. We don't have to worry about each other. We're not paranoid. We're not feeling guilt. We're not feeling regret because we're all being held accountable to the Lord, living in his grace and his goodness. And those who are in authority over us, who have prominence over us, we need to pray that they get that and that they lead that way. And if they don't, we need to pray that God will hold them them accountable and bring them down. So, Confused Feelings of Paranoia for 1,000, Alex. Crime's the number one issue in polling for midterms. I um, have been watching uh, some different shows that have a lot of scary crime ads that are attached to them. I guess I watch shows that older people watch. I never thought that I was older, but it's got uh, scary things happening to older people in these ads they're not true stories but they're just, this is what could happen and they're motivating you so you got to vote for so and so because this could happen to you But it does seem like even the real live news stories that we're seeing where people are being pushed onto subways, uh, subway tracks and uh, just being violently struck or pushed down or abused or whatever. It gets in your mind and surely you might feel a little paranoia too when you're walking down the street and a strange uh, strange person's coming your way, maybe a young person, and you're wondering, are they going to deck me? What do I do? Crime's a problem. Probably because we protected criminals for too long and we have punished and policed law abiding citizens instead. Do you hear the story about Paul Vaughn? He's a father of 11. He was recently arrested by the FBI a year after peacefully protesting in an abortion clinic. They showed the, the the youtube video of them just peacefully singing hymns and praying in an abortion clinic they were asked to leave they practiced civil di- civil div- disobedience eventually they did leave a year later they send fbi agents with guns and rifles and in full tactical gear with his children waiting to go to school they breach his home and they take him away in cuffs Because they say that he's a terrorist threat against the United States of America. Is there something wrong with that? I saw him interviewed. He's a pleasant man. Soft-spoken. Looks like Jack Wine in some ways. Just a gentle person. Just a gentle man. You think about, are we policing the law-abiding and promoting those who are breaking the law? We have soft on crime DAs who are relaxing, but who are releasing violent criminals right back onto the streets after they're being arrested by the police. But are we praying over all of this? Are we abiding and agreeing in prayer with other believers, asking God to write His laws in their hearts and minds? Like He says, I urge you then that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made. For all people that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. God is making us a promise here that if we pray for those in power for over that are over us, we can have peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And you have to remember the context that Paul is writing to Timothy in this. The Roman government was the iron fist of tyranny over all the people at that time. And in that circumstance... We were incur- they were encouraged to pray for the king, for the emperor, all those in authority, though, so that they can live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Praying over this election gives us peace, and it quiets any paranoia that might threaten us. We also have a mediator who perfects our imperfections through faith and forgiveness. This is the other side, because... We have to really regain the eternal perspective that jesus mediates between god and man through perfecting our imperfections because it's vital to the promotion and progress of our society because what has happened is government now has determined that they are the arbiters of what's moral right and good and if you don't do what they say is moral right and good whoever's in the white house whoever's in power it doesn't matter if it's a law or not It doesn't have to be a law anymore. It can be an executive order. It can just be a decision that they make that if they think what you're doing is immoral, even if it's godly, they can sick the DOJ, FBI, whomever they want on you, and they can threaten you, put you in prison, whatever the case might be. We've learned that over vaccinations in the last couple of years. You don't want to take a vaccination? Well, you're a a a grandma killer and you deserve to be in jail. We're dealing with this system where in our society, um, those who have the primary purpose and are entrusted with authority, they're promoting imperfection. They're saying that what is good or what is bad is good. And they're saying what is good is really bad. And we need to protect those who are doing bad things because that's our right or that's our our responsibility. James Madison stated the purpose, to the purpose that any form of government will secure liberty or happiness without any virtue in the people, is chimerical. That means imaginary. These are the inculcations necessary to render the people a sure basis for the structure and order of government. It takes virtuous. People, godly people, people who are looking to Jesus as the mediator between them and God. And it's sacrilegious. It is the sacrilegious politicians who threaten this principle. Sacrilegious just means that the religion, the idea of the Bible, what Scripture says, it doesn't carry weight. It is wrong. So sacrilege would be someone who'd say, I'm not going to believe what the Bible says because I know what's best. And I'm going to make sure everybody does what I say is best. That threatens this principle uh, of self-governance. So we're to promote progress through knowledge of truth, which teaches Jesus as our only savior and mediator. We've stopped doing this. We've stopped contending for the faith with our friends, our neighbors, those in our family. Jesus is our only example of the only perfecter of our imperfections. Hebrews chapter 12, you're familiar with these verses Read 1 through 24 sometime today or at some point. I'm not going to read all of that. But he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter Of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He's telling us you will be opposed in doing this, but don't give up. Skip down to the end of that chapter and it says you have come to God, the judge of all to the spirits of the righteousness made perfect to the righteous made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkle blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. All of that just means that through Christ, we look at him author and perfecter. He's the one who's perfecting our imperfections. He's the lamb of God, as Seth talked about last week. The unblemished sacrifice that washes away our sin and makes whatever we've done bad, if we confess it to him and we want to be accountable to him through his grace, he cleanses that and washes that away. Now, the process of the world is different. It wants to mark you as imperfect and tell you how you can change politically in order to be made perfect. But only Jesus is the one that can deal with our imperfections. And that issue, that little statement of the blood of Abel, there's a whole historical background behind of that with what happened with Cain and the curse on Cain. So if you want to read that or talk to me about that later, I'd be glad to talk to you about that. That really leads us to the confused feelings of guilt and regret for 2000, Alex. Because another midterm issue concerning Americans is education. Students are being guilted by progressive teachers and students and forced into expressing regret about our history. They're censoring free speech on campuses to protect their delicate position and cursing anyone who disagrees. Now, that sounds silly, but wouldn't it be great if you could say, I don't believe anything that you believe. You're hurting my feelings when you challenge it, so you're bad. You should go away. I would have tried that on my brother when I was little, but it would not have worked, right? But that's what's happening, there's one scary censorship story after another about tenured professors, people who've worked in their positions as teachers for decades, who are losing their jobs overnight because they hurt the feelings of some person in their class. And in one case, the, little, the girl was not even in class when the professor said something, someone, uh, some other person who was there that day was explaining what the professor said. She got mad. She started a whole thing against him and got him fired. There are a lot of things like that going on. Dr. Phil's even talking about this stuff right now. He filled up, a, he stirred up a big controversy by revealing that on many college campuses, so called progressives are censoring free speech. Often, any religious or moral speech is being censored. But they're allowing others to intimidate through guilt and shame so people regret what they believed in for centuries just on the whim of a 20 year old God our Savior he wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one God one mediator between God and mankind it's the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all that's what we need to be standing up for. Christ Jesus is our mediator because God is the judge. So don't let anyone guilt you or push you to regret because Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant of our perfection, from, of perfection of our imperfections. And our founding fathers knew that and encouraged that in our governance, self-governance. So pray and vote for what God wants. He wants leaders who will encourage accountability to Christ, who will stand up for our religious principles and values. Biblical morality and virtue. I'm sorry. The primary purpose of any authority majestic or managerial is to protect and promote a culture in which we can live peaceful and quiet lives self-governed in godliness and holiness. And it's when we It is when the princely and the prominent usurp Jesus as the mediator between God and men through authoritarianism and abuse that the quality of our lives are threatened. But we have power. We must never give in to confused feelings of paranoia, guilt, or regret because through Christ Jesus our experience can be redeemed if God's laws imprinted on our hearts and minds and our imperfections are perfected through faith and forgiveness. Then we're no longer manipulated by those in this world. So what can you do? Well, next week, November 8th, there'll be people voting here. You can pray over what happens here in this building. You can pray over what's happening in your life and who you vote for. You can pray over every person that you know. You can pray for those candidates that you believe God could use To help us change a little bit of the quality of our life, but not as our saviors, but as those who will promote and protect what our founding fathers put in place. That is the virtue of self-governance and accountability to our creator. Powers in the prayer. Powers on your knees before the Lord. Praying for accountability in all these areas. Pray that way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to open up your word today. And I just ask, Lord, that even though it took me more time here today to get all this out, that we'll receive it well, that I've handled accurately your word of truth. Lord, we're grateful that you have blessed us with this great country, that you have blessed us in such a way that we have been given the opportunity to offer prayer and petition and thanksgiving and intercession for those who are in prominence over us and you've given us the power to hold them accountable before you as we hold ourselves accountable for you through Christ Jesus. Help us to remember that our power, Lord, is in the prayer. It's on our knees, praying for, praying over, praying with, that you'll use that to help heal this country from some of the bad things that are going on right now that we've even mentioned today. That we'll find your hand of blessing be upon us and that you be present among us again as we live with you in our hearts all over this great nation that you bless us with. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to talk about it and I pray that it would change our lives in a good way. The quality of our lives would change because we're praying over those who lead us. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let all God's people say,